Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator, writer for Empire Magazine, Phil Desemlian. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, and thank you for coming along to Apple's Meet the Filmmaker tonight. Um, I'm really pleased to be able to introduce a director um, who sort of came to prominence with his Danish set crime trilogy, Pusher, and has subsequently gone on to make uh, Bronson with Thomas Hardy and uh, Valhalla Rising and, of course, The Great Drive. And he's back working with Ryan Gosling again in Only God Forgives. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to watch the trailer first and then we're going to introduce Nicholas Winding Refn. When I was pregnant with you, it was strange you were different. They wanted me to terminate, but I wouldn't. They don't understand you. And I never will. Please put your hands together for Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? Hello. So, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, this has got you back together again with Ryan Gosling, but it sort of, kind of, so nearly wasn't going to be Ryan Gosling, wasn't it? It was, I think for a while, Luke Evans was, was set to make, make the film with you. Uh, that's true. Um, my original uh, life was going to be that I was going to make Only God Forgives before Drive. And um, I was working on it, very uh, determined to make that film. Uh, I then got an offer from Paul Schrader to direct a film he had written called The Dying of the Light where I had gotten Harrison Ford to star in. And I was really excited about that and the whole idea of going to Hollywood to make a film with Harrison Ford and he was going to die at the end. So my contribution to Hollywood would be to kill Harrison Ford. <laughs> and I really wanted to do that. <laughs> um, but then Harrison decided he didn't want to die and then the film kind of disappeared. And I was really, you know, uh, depressed for that reason. But then that's when I met Ryan Gosling, and we went off and did Drive. 
So while I was making Drive, I knew my next film would be Only God Forgives. So I was casting Only God Forgives while I was making Drive. And, you know, Kiss Scott Thomas and then Luke Evans. So everything was set to go. And uh, after the premiere of at Cannes for Drive, uh, I get a, a phone call from William Morris, who says, Luke Evans just dropped out of your movie. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We're supposed to start in three months. They were like, yeah, he got The Hobbit. <laughs> so he got The Hobbit? You, what, <laughs> well, what, what's he going to play? We don't know. <laughs> really? And then you, okay. <laughs> God damn it. You know, three months before I was supposed to shoot a movie and the lead drops out. And I was with uh, Ryan in L.A. at that period also. And we were sitting at our favorite hangout, which is a place called The 101. It's an all-night diner, which was near my house in Los Angeles when I made Drive. And I was, you know, sitting there at like 1 a.m. probably complaining about actors and how much you can't trust them and they're like the worst thing in the world and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it quickly led to, well, you know what? Why don't we do, man, another film together? You know, you know, it's ready to go and, you know, let's just jump into it, see what happens. And uh, we did. So I postponed the shoot a few months because Ryan had other commitments. And then off we went. And I called um, Luke Evans' agent. And I said, thank you so much for dropping <laughs> out. That is the <laughs> best thing you could have done to me. Are you going to see The Hobbit? I saw The Hobbit. The one he's in the next one, I think. This oh, he's Christmas. in the next one. Mm. Oh, because I was trying to look for him. <laughs> so you could blow a raspberry. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were mentioning that you've actually been speaking to Ryan because he's been making his own directorial debut. And has he kind of come to you for little snippets of advice when things have got a little fraught on set? Or is he just <laughs> keeping himself to himself? Well, I mean, he is, you know, he's an incredible creative force. So he will, he will survive anything. And, but I remember, you know, some time ago, he called me and he said, wow, being a director, you must have the, the most ripped muscle in your mind <laughs> because this is insanity. Uh, but it was a great compliment, you know, from a great actor. So, um, you know, he's going to do very, very good. Yeah. He's, uh, in, in Only God Forgives, his character, Julian, that there's elements of things that we've seen in your films before. For instance, his character in Drive, Dr Driver, and Mads Mikkelsen's character in Valhalla Rising, and, and you love these kind of monoliths, these timeless kind of figures, almost. But he's a little kind of off of that. He's not necessarily got the same strength and, and, and force to him. Is that fair, do you think, in this film? Well, he plays a different character. Mm. You know, I mean, um, you know, because Only God Forgives is about a mother son relationship and a mother's confrontation with his overpowering mother, um, you know, Ryan really understood the idea of having to play, you know, weak in all points, meaning that dramatically he had to change everything we had done on Drive, which is why he's such a brave actor and he's willing to go to places that I couldn't imagine people would go to. Yeah. Uh, also in the situation that he is and the status he is. So it was a wonderful collaboration because we had to go against all the differences that we had done on Drive. It was all about 
destroying, you know, mutating, mm. and so forth, which was great. Where um, the um, Thai actor in the film that ended up playing God has more of a reminiscent of the uh, yes. monolith abilities yes. that both Mats Mikkelsen's One Eye and Ryan's Drive had in the previous films. Yeah. I wondered if you almost saw him as the protagonist rather than the Gosling character. Well, in a way, Ross, you know, he's like the key to the confrontation between the antagonist and the protagonist. So the antagonist being the mother, protagonist being Ryan, but their confrontation is gone through this character mm. that essentially believes he's God. We should just to put it into context, um, Ryan is being asked by Kristen Scott Thomas, his mother, to avenge the death of his brother. And Chang, the corrupt Thai police chief, is kind of the nemesis. Um, let's see, let's watch a scene, a clip where we meet Kristen Scott Thomas's character for the first time. I'm afraid the room wouldn't be ready until four o'clock. It's a policy. Get your manager. You'll be here in a minute. What's your problem? Good morning, madame. How may I help you? Listen to me. I have just traveled 10,000 miles to see the corpse of my firstborn son. I haven't slept in 30 hours, and this bitch says I can't have my room. <laughs> we didn't see that in four weddings and a funeral. Um, is it true your mum put you on to Kristen Scott Thomas because she was such a huge fan. And you then sent her the script and she kind of sent it back to you with a note saying, why have you sent this to me? It's not, it's not really my kind of thing. Well, yes. I mean, you know, KST, as she's called in my world, is every mother's favorite actress, you know. And um, which is what makes her a very interesting candidate. Um, when I... Um, when I was able to connect with her by sending her the material and she was interested and we met in Paris for dinner, I uh, very quickly you know, had this kind of vision of all the films that she's famous for. And, um, you know, I was very eager to experience that so I can call my mother and say, guess <laughs> what? Which films in particular did you have in your mind? Well, of course, uh, uh, Under the Cherry Moon by Prince. <laughs> um, now, I realized in the course of the dinner that KST has no problem turning on the bitch witch. <laughs> so this was, of course, music in my ears. And we talked back and forth about the character and the whole Macbeth concept and the incestuous, uh, you know, and the Oedipus and the uh, insect devouring and all these kind of metaphors that the character represents, you know. So uh, by the dessert, she asked me, so by the way, why did you think about me? I mean, why, why did you come to me? Which is always a tricky question because if you say something that's wrong, 
it, you know, mm. they get really depressed and walk away. You see something that's right, you know, they'll say yes. And I just answered, because you did four weddings in a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> and she thought about it, and she goes, all right, I get it. Okay, I get it. So I'll do the film. But if I'm going to do it, I really need to change. I need to mutate. I need to become someone else. And I was like, you're preaching to the choir, baby. <laughs> so because she has some fairly industrial kind of turns of phrase in this film. Did she bring any of that to it? Or was that all in the script? Or did she have any issues with some of the things? Um, no, she didn't have any issues with what she didn't want to say, except there was one thing that in, that was not about profanity, but it, was a, it referred to other things that she said, I just can't, I can't get that out of my system to even say that, which I kind of understood, though she was like, okay, what else can we come up with? Um, but a lot of the profanity was actually uh, um, very much at the help from Ryan Gosling, because one of the things in for the course of the movie, she had to degrade this very beautiful girl that Ryan brings home to dinner and English is my second language so I was a bit like God what can you what you, like Ryan what, what's the worst thing you can call a woman in America <laughs> and he came back with a list <laughs> and on top of the list was this phrases <laughs> that uh, were like oh what does that mean uh, oh okay <laughs> uh, great well let's go with that <laughs> it's a bit different from the image of the Ryan Gosling and his coloring in book and the uh, what would Ryan Gosling do type stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wondered how, this is a very different film to drive. There's obviously similarities. Cliff Martinez, again, with a great score, um, beautiful cinematography, the pace of it, similar. But it's, it is kind of different, and I wondered if people that have come to your work through Drive, which obviously has got you kind of better known amongst filmgoers, you need to almost get people to start again, in a way, if you see what I mean, mm -hmm. with this film and kind of come at it from a come at it from scratch and not bring too much to it. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, God. Well, the thing is that whenever you make something that works, there's an expectation you can do the same thing again, uh, which is a natural reaction to anything. When people enjoy something, they want mm -hmm. more of it, but it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do or experience. Um, but, you know, a better way to kind of explain the differences between the two movies is that if you were to describe Drive as being, you know, really, really good cocaine, <laughs> um, Only God Forgives is like really, really, really strong acid. <laughs> and I'm not talking about that trippy stuff where you want to dance and drink water all night, <laughs> but the one where you just become the chair. <laughs> so you're promising to turn people into furniture with this new film. Well, it's <laughs> tune in and drop out, as they say. It's funny you mention um, the sort of the trippy stuff. I, I was thinking Gaspar Noé made a film, Enter the Void, which he played at Cannes to, you know, it polarized people, I think. And he said that he came out and, and, and the response was kind of muted and positive. And then he waited and read the reviews and everybody was very, you know, there's a lot of negative reviews as well as positive ones for it. And he felt better about that. And I wondered if you were happy that, that to make, you know, for a film to be polarizing or did you want it to be polarizing? Would you be happy if it just everybody felt, you know, that they liked it? 
Well, I always say, if everybody likes what you have done, it's the same mistake as if everybody doesn't like it. Because art is really more about expressing emotions. And as a reaction, you know, it's a bit like having sex. It's like the deeper it is, the more intense it is, the more great it is. And when you polarize, that means you've really entered people's subconscious much deeper because if they can love you for the exact same thing the other person hates you, mm. that must trigger something very, very intensely interesting. And, you know, when everybody likes, you have really only scratched the surface because how can everyone agree on something that's all about an individual experience? Mm. You know, uh, art is meant to, to, to cause an effect because that's the only thing it can actually do. Besides entertainment, and, and we all enjoy that, art has the ability to inspire. But in order to inspire, it needs to penetrate you. And that, of course, when it becomes a purely individual experience, and it touches things within you that you may like or not like. So you can't even define it as good or bad, because we live in a society where everything is like good and bad. It's like, how's your sex life? It's good or bad? Well, it's good or bad. You, it's, it's kind of an absurd thing to describe, but we're so obsessed with definition in terms of speed, mm. in terms of how the movement of our lives are. So I always, you know, you know, I'm very good friends with Gaspar, so I totally understand where he comes from. And the reaction that I had in Cannes was very similar to his own. And in a way, there's a great, it satisfies the ego a lot and the vanity of knowing you're like the sex pistols of the <laughs> film festival. But there's also a sense what I think that's what I can contribute. Yeah. I can contribute that experience. And whether you love it or hate it, you're never going to get it. And in a way, it will travel you for the rest of your life. It's a good place to tee up the next clip, which you've already kind of referred to when the, when the three, um, Julian and his mother and his uh, girlfriend all get together for dinner. What do you think of his line of work? I'm not talking about the fact boxing club. I'm talking about where the money comes from. You know what he does, right? He deals drugs, May. Heroin, cocaine. That's where the money comes from. That's how he can afford to pay you to fuck him. Oh, great. I'll get the crab, he'll have the spicy chicken, and May here will have a salad with a dressing on the side. Vicious. <laughs> the dressing on the side. Um, I think it might be a nice place to throw it out some questions at this point from you guys. So if you have a question, please stick your hand in the air and we'll get the mic to you. Um, gentleman over here. Thank you. How did you get uh, the actress uh, Kristen uh, Scott Thomas to change? Uh, well, it was basically one of her conditions for doing the part was that she really needed to transform and mutate. And, uh, you know, I'm always very interested when you work with actors, actresses, uh, generally the people you collaborate with as a director, in, you know, inspiring them to give their best thoughts, to, like, become part of the creative melting pot. 
And I said, well, why didn't you go home and think about what you want to look like? I mean, the character is this, this is the background, this is what can work, this is you, the DNA of it, but how do you see that transforming to a look? And she came back with some, a photo shoot she had done a few years before with, where she had a long blonde wig. And that immediately was like, she said, that's what I, that's what I need to be. And it was, okay, Donatella Versace, here we come. <laughs> Just here. Um, I'm a big fan of your American stuff, your, your English language movies, but is there a chance you're going to go back to doing anything in Denmark again? Because I do love the pusher films. Uh, well, thank you very much. I don't think that, you know, I, um, I have a very conflicted appeal to my home country because I didn't grow up in Denmark. I grew up in New York. So I may have a Danish passport, but I'm a, I'm a New Yorker by heart. And for the kind of films I make, just, you know, financially, they're much easier for me to finance in English and distribute in English. So it's also this, the reality of the market that we live in nowadays. English speaking is just, it's a completely different arena in terms of getting the kind of films made you make. So I don't, I can't imagine myself going back. But then, you know, I never imagined myself sitting here. <laughs> Hi, I'm a big fan of your work as well. Um, did you find it risky um, using uh, the uh, Ryan? Well, Ryan Gosling is a great actor. We all love him as well. But do you find it risky to use the same actor as a star of your film, one after the other? Would you take the same risk with somebody else besides Ryan when it comes to giving him that spotlight in uh, as basically the base of your film? Um. No, I mean, I made four films with Matt Mickelson basically, in a row. Um, and um, I don't have any problems with, um, with working with the same people again. Again, actually, I, I enjoy it very much. Um, of course, you have to be worried that it doesn't get too comfortable and you take the easy route out. So you have to understand we both have to inspire each other to go in the direction the film needs to go in and not make the same again. Um, and that was one of the things with, with Only God Forgives because there was the cinema of silence is what I've been obsessed with for the last three movies with basically no dialogue and the images and the music would basically convey the whole story. And that was the same thing for Only God Forgives. So that was in common with the other movies. So of course, but the character was very different and that was what became interesting that it was a completely different scenario and, and from it was more like if, if drive was about strength and the fetish of strength, uh, only God forgives is about the fetish of castration. And um, once you're in that same length, if you can go with it, it flows really, really well. And then also just personally, you know, it, you know I really enjoy working with him. You know, he's a, he's a very, it's a very intimate process. Um, so, if it works, you know, <laughs> don't ruin it. Is there an element of, like, muse management where you have to call up Mads and go, I've got one for you in a bit, next film after this? Um, you know, um, the, the entertainment industry is full of hairdressers. And uh, it's a fun place to 
gossiping. Let's say that. <laughs> okay. Um, before we go take some more questions, I think just want to tee up one final clip, which introduces the kind of the big bad of the film, who's Chang, who you referred to before. Um, maybe we can take a look at that. This, <laughs> maybe you can kind of explain where that leads to, that particular moment. Because I think people have seen the posters of Ryan Gosling looking less, should we say, less handsome than normal, with his face a little kind of rearranged. Well, it leads to a battle between heaven and hell. <laughs> um, we see uh, Chang bringing out some, some needles at one point, and uh, it's kind of reminded me a little bit of Albert Brooks in Drive when he, when he kind of goes at the guy with, with the forks. And I wondered, you know, y y there's things that you couldn't show in this film that you've maybe shot and had to leave on the cutting room floor because it was too extreme. Was there anything that you kind of had to let go of because it was just a little beyond where you could, where you could kind of pitch the line of the violence? No. Really? No. <laughs> no. Fair enough. Um, any, any more questions from... Hi. You probably uh, get this question quite a lot, but I was wondering, how did you get your start in filmmaking? And if you have any advice for other emerging filmmakers, you know, things like that. Well, the best advice I can give you um, was the advice that I got when I was around 25 from Eli Kassan, the great, great film director. I was having ice cream with him in Stockholm, of all places. And I asked him, while we were eating vanilla, what advice would you give a young filmmaker? And he said, my advice to you is do it your way. And that is very much about take destiny into your own hands. And because of the digital revolution, the charge of your destiny is much more in your hands. When I started filmmaking, I made my first film when I was 24. And I was very lucky to, because of Denmark, I was able to get some subsidy money to go make my first film, Pusher, without having any official training or any background other than, you know, toying around with cameras at home. So I was extremely fortunate to have that ability to have access to this funding to go make a movie that I call Making a Film with the Arrogance of Youth, which is all the things you're not supposed to do is what you do for the right reasons. Now, because of today's technology, you don't even need that ability anymore because you can make a film for $5. And the distribution of the digital world opens up an arena that it could be shown, and length is not even an issue, and how we perceive entertainment is not even an issue anymore because it's an open field, it's an open mind of abilities. But of course it comes down to determination and it comes down to the essence of creating which is the need to express that is so enormously strong 
that if you don't do it, you're going to explode. That's how it has to feel. Otherwise, it's never going to work out. I think we've got time for a couple more questions. Um, lady over here. Hi. I'm a huge fan of your work. I just wanted to ask you if you um, have any filmmakers that you particularly sort of look up to or admire. Because when I look at your films, you know, I can see the real makings of an auteur. There are a lot of things you can pick out that have similarities across your films and they really uh, interconnect. So if you've got any people that you look up to in the film industry. I mean, there are many, many wonderful film directors that I am inspired by or that I look up to or... Uh, you know, or also envious of, you know. Um, so I like all kinds of, of filmmakers. Um, and um, it varies sometimes from film to film that I do that certain films, I can be interested in a certain type of direction of filmmaking that varies from other films. Um, and it can be anything from short filmmakers to feature filmmakers to experimental filmmakers, uh, you know, on you know, the last couple of films, like um, you know, um, uh, Drive was very much inspired by the whole John Hughes background of my upbringing. You know, watching Sixteen Candles and Pretty in Pink, all those movies that I was a teenager with that you know still resonates very strongly with me. Um, you, know, you had Bronson, which was very much inspired by Kenneth Anger, which is a short filmmaker. Uh, Only God Forgives was actually inspired very much by a short film called The Evil Cameraman by Richard Kern. But then, of course, you have all the other great filmmakers that also comes to mind, and that's, you know, everything from people now, you know, I mean, my friend Gaspar I find very inspiring, you know, uh, Michael Mann, you know, David Lynch, uh, you name them. I mean, you know, Ken Loach, I had a huge admirer of Ken Loach, you know. I, Gary Marshall is one of my favorite filmmakers who directed Pretty Woman. I think he's an incredible talent. Uh, you know, so everything around you can grab. And that's what's great about creativity is that there's so much to be inspired by that film school in the end, the concept of education through the arts have almost disappeared because now it's just a touch of our button. You can just go home and be, you know, the first time I made a film really came from my meeting Kevin Smith because he had just done Clerks and I saw Clerks and my reaction was, I can do that. But that inspired me that, you know, he was standing there in his shorts and had just done a movie. It's like, that's fantastic. Well, I want to do that as well. So it comes at different ways at different times. Um, probably the one person that in the end speaks in sense of who I always return to of everything I do is Alejandro Jodorowsky, which the film Only God Figures is also dedicated to. Because he, in my mind, kind of, you know, whenever I feel too safe or I feel I'm doing things for the wrong reasons or I'm insecure, I speak to him. I also know him, so it helps a little, but, or I watch his movies because it kind of reminds me that cinema is about a risk taking, but also it's about just expressing of emotions and just go with what you want to do. And in the end, everything will be okay. And oddly enough, you can say that his f second movie, El Topo, which you know, was most famous for 
in terms of creating the whole midnight film phenomena in the 60s. But it's also the movie that basically created modern pop cinema and everything that we all make, and I mean all of us, um, goes back in a way to that film El Topo. Last question. Hi there. Um, quick question. Any updates on Drive sequel or second? Well, I can tell you what the reality is, which is there will not be a Drive sequel because you would be very disappointed. Definitely. <laughs> so, therefore, it's never going to happen. You were linked with Logan's Run. That's also fallen by the wayside, has it? Or was that something that you might revisit? Well, Logan's Run was a great development experience, but I think it really... I realized the reason why I was so into doing it and, and was working with it at Warner was that I was so in love with the original that I thought if I can do a new version, I would be part of the original. But you know, then reality kicks in, and I realize that everything is right for maybe the wrong reasons for me. So I decided that it was you know, time to maybe approach something else. But it's in the end, you know, I have this idea about doing a science fiction film in the end. So Barbarella came in, and I decided that I would rather you know, really now produce my first television show, and that would be Barbarella. Well, we're looking forward to that. Um, we've got to wrap up now, but Only God Forgives is out in August. And um, I think we should all show our appreciation for a very inspiring talk from uh, Nicholas Wine and Refn.